Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello and welcome to the When to Jump podcast. My name is Mike Lewis and we're starting this episode off with a little bit of story time from the When to Jump archives. So around this time three years ago, I cold emailed someone named Chris Gillibo and I was wrapping up the professional squash tour. I was hopscotching around the world. I was running out of cash, planning to stay on my friend's couch a few months later. You guys all know that story. And I had this idea for what I wanted to make, which was a community, but also have events and a book and maybe a podcast someday and all this stuff. And I didn't know where to start. And so I emailed this guy who had traveled around the world to every single country, turned a blog into a tribe, into a lifestyle business. And he had done all these cool things. And I I asked him, where do you start? And I didn't expect to hear back. But as you know, from listening to the show, a big part of taking a jump starts with just that little token cold email or random LinkedIn message. And so Chris responds to that. And three years later, he's now on the podcast. And he's going to talk about his own jump, his thoughts on jumping itself, on what he calls side hustles, and everything in between. So enjoy this conversation right here, three years after cold email was responded with the man himself, Chris Gillibo. Welcome to the When to Jump podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. Dude, thank you so much for having me. I know you've done a lot around you know your story and really a lot around curating stories of others. And I think there's a ton, particularly with what you're doing with the Side Hustle School, that um, our community will find interesting. But what I'd love to do is spend uh, this episode really on you, uh, Chris, the person, uh, Chris, the jumper, um, Chris, who's faced you know a lot of ups and has faced your share of challenges and hurdles and found a way through them. And I'd love to kind of hand it to you to to share a bit around that perspective, because, you know, as you know, with with when to jump, we really do try to dig into uh, the personal nitty gritty that you know folks might not get from your wiki page, your resume, or 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 blog or podcast itself. You know, to me, I guess uh, I'm always I'm always surprised when when people kind of like I don't know begin with the resume or talk about it, like oh you've done all these amazing things and like it's like you know we're all on a journey, right? We're all on a journey. We all start somewhere, and you know I, I feel like. I feel like there's so many things that I haven't done well, and there's so many things that I've had to overcome and continue to. And so, you know, when you talked about like, you know, kind of figuring out, you know, your when to jump story and like, you know, overcoming some challenges and dealing with vulnerability, I feel like I'm I'm overcoming challenges and dealing with vulnerability today, you know, and like, it's not like a one and done kind of thing. So I feel like we all, like, there's always something like that's next. And if you get to the point of being complacent where you're just doing the same thing over and over, then, then you've essentially failed. And when I say failed, like you failed yourself, it's not like you failed, you know, the world or whatever, but at least for me, I feel like, um, uh, you know, a, a model or like a value has been growth and, and the times in my life when I'm, I'm feeling the most fulfilled 
or maybe even happy, like happiness is kind of like a sticky concept, but when I'm feeling the most fulfilled and purposeful, it is when I'm pursuing things that are, that are challenging me and kind of pushing me to go beyond, you know, what has happened before. So we can go in, in whatever direction you want, but I feel like everybody's on the same kind of path. Um, you know, maybe one place to start is where it seems like a big jump was born your time in West Africa, um, as a early 20 something year old. Can you tell us a little bit about that and bring us there? Yeah, of course. I mean, I think, um, you know, the, the history of a lot of stuff that I've done, it's, it's like you do one thing and that leads to something else. And I, I see this with a lot of people as well. And uh, a few years ago, I had this book out called Happiness of Pursuit. And it, it was very much like illustrating this concept of like with, with experience um, comes confidence, essentially. Like as you gain experience, you gain more confidence, you gain more vision to do something else. And so that's how it was for me with going to every country in the world. Like I didn't begin with like going to... I didn't begin with like having been to two countries and saying like, Oh, I want to go to all 193. You know, that came about like, as you know, I've been to like 30 countries and I was like, Oh, I want to go to a hundred. And then eventually it was like, I want to go to all of them. So I think it's really important to like take these steps in the direction of, of something, even if you're not sure like what the final you know, destination is. So when it comes to like the, the West Africa thing, it, it's pretty similar. It was like, go back to the early twenties, you know, as you said, and um, I had, I'd had kind of a weird childhood and I was a juvenile delinquent, dropped out of high school and stuff. And I eventually was able to kind of turn my life around and get more of a focus and realized pretty early on that, you know, even though I didn't want to be a juvenile delinquent, I, some, some of those like rebellious values were actually kind of helpful. And, and I, I really wasn't very good at working for other people. Like I really had to kind of find my own way and I liked to work, but I had to do something that I believed in. Like if I believed in something, I would give 110%. If I didn't believe in it, I'd give 20%, right? So if there's any other listeners out there, like it's kind of like a classic ADD personality. And so, you know, in like, I guess it was like 19, 20, age 21, 22, I was kind of finding my way in, in that regard. And I had found, found a way to like make a living, wasn't getting rich, but also wasn't in debt. I was able to do what was important to me, play music, travel, and so on. And so I thought, well... I've kind of got it made here. You're like, I've got it made in the sense that I don't have to like go to a nine to five. I can structure my life the way that I, the way that I want to. And like, I, if I want to spend all afternoon reading at Barnes and Noble, which is what I did pretty much, you know, four, four days a week, um, just reading lots of books and learning, I can do that, you know, and most people don't have that opportunity. So this is great. And then I guess maybe at the same time, I was also feeling kind of challenged and kind of like, okay, well, what's next? Like I've, I've, you know, quote unquote achieved this at a young age. So what am I going to do with it? And I felt like, I don't know, this like missional kind of calling or like the stirring of like, of just being part of something bigger than myself, basically being part of a story that was more just, you know, wasn't just like, oh, well, Chris Gillibo has figured out how to sell things on eBay. And so now he, you know, he doesn't have to work a regular job. It was more like, what, what, what's next? You know, what can we be a part of? And so that's when I heard about this opportunity to, to go and be part of you know, making things better in West Africa after a civil war. There'd been this uh, decade-long civil war in Sierra Leone in Liberia. There was a hospital ship that needed volunteers. Uh, you know, not everybody who was there was a doctor. In fact, the majority of the people were support staff doing logistics, you know, kind of enabling the doctors and surgeons to be able to do their work. And I was like, well, that sounds exciting. Like, that sounds, that actually sounds really interesting. And you had to make a two-year commitment, uh, just kind of like sight unseen. And I really liked that. Like, I was attracted to the idea of like, you know, I don't want to go for three weeks. Like I want to go for two years. And so, you know, went and did that for, you know, for two years, it turned into three years and then four years eventually. And so that was this period of rapid growth basically. And it's funny to look back now, like literally 20 years later, because, um, when I, uh, when I first, you know, had that, that stirring or that calling and like went and I was doing things, 
that seemed perfectly normal at the time. Like it seemed normal to go and like work in this post conflict, you know, civil war environment. It seemed normal to like work with state leaders and met the first uh, female president of Africa and did all kinds of stuff. And that just led to everything that came later, even though obviously it was very abnormal, but at the time it felt normal. And so stepping onto that, embracing that gave me a vision to do the next thing, which was going to every country in the world. And then gave me the vision to like start the writing project and now the events and all that. So I really think it's important to maybe, maybe if there's any lesson, it's like to pay attention to the stirring or pay attention to that idea. And if you stop paying attention to, or if you just kind of ignore it, that's not going to be good for you because it's there for a reason, you know? And for me, at least I'm really glad that I was able to like listen to that and say, okay, you know, I am going to do something about this. Don't know what's going to happen, but I'm willing to kind of step out and, and just kind of follow that path wherever it goes. Yeah. We, we call it listening to the little voice, right? Of, mm, of right, not ignoring, exactly. not exactly, ignoring yeah. it anymore. It's there for a reason, and, you know, right? Yeah. And I'll ask what's next, but not because, you know, we want to cover in detail all the adventures of the 193 countries you ended up visiting, but mostly of, of what happened when you got to Norway, your huh. last country, yeah. and how that felt. Because it's not exactly what, what you might think when you read the sure. story, right? Sure, sure. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, it's weird because yeah, Norway, was, Norway was my last country, which, as a, as a quick side note, because everybody's always like, why in the world Norway, you know? Um, I had I'd realized when I was about 120 countries in or so, I needed to have a plan for the last country. I needed to like kind of know what was going to happen because my goal is to finish it on my 35th birthday. And so um, Norway was like the one European country I hadn't been to. And so I decided to save it essentially. And then also I had at that point, I had a lot of readers who wanted to come along with me, like be part of the last country. And so I was like, well, I don't want to be responsible for bringing people to Sudan or, you know, wherever, <laughs> right? I need an easy place. Essentially, I need an easy place where people can figure themselves out, you know, to get to. And so that's why Norway... And, um, I kind of knew this going in. So I, I wasn't really surprised when it happened. Like I, I knew like maybe six months, you know, ahead of time, this is actually going to be kind of like a scary thing for me more than it is a, a celebratory thing for me. Like, I'm going to be excited about it. Of course, like I've achieved this thing, but I also had this, this sense of, as you said, like, well, what now? Because, you know, so much of my identity, uh, you know, personal, professional and so on was kind of wrapped up into this thing. And I, you know, nobody could pronounce my last name, but they all knew I was the guy who's going to every country in the world. So I was like, well, okay, I can be the guy who went to every country in the world for a few months or whatever. But, uh, you know, ultimately I need to be looking forward. I need to be looking ahead. So it was a little bit of a depression period actually of like, uh, well, I'm kind of sad, you know, I'm glad in some ways I'm not sleeping on the floor of the airport and, you know, random countries, you know, several times a month and like dealing with all the stuff associated with, um, the logistics and the travel and the fatigue and having to not do other things because I wanted to do, you know, fulfill my commitment. But at the same time, it was really nice to have like this, you know, no matter what else I'm doing, I have this one thing that like, this is my quest. This is what I've kind of built so much around. And now I don't have that anymore. And so that was a little bit, um, you know, maybe not unexpected, but it was a little bit hard to deal with. And that's, and like, like I mentioned that previous book, happiness of pursuit, like I, I studied other people who'd undertaken quests and they all had the same thing. Like they all had the same kind of thing of like, well, I've, I've, uh, you know, wanted to do this for years and years and I finally completed it. And now like got this weird sense of isolation. Uh, uh I got to figure out, you know, what, what I do with the rest of my life. Oh, totally. Mm -hmm. I think that's anyone who, who goes on a quest, right. Or makes yep. a jump is they have to feel okay. Like there's going to be a little bit of a free fall. Yep. Absolutely. I think, cause you have this, um, especially if you, if it's uh, the jump and you're making the jump to self-employment or something, uh, people have like a fantasy of it, right? Because you're, you're kind of trapped in your old way of life. Like there's something you do want to escape from. And so you daydream and you're like, oh, it's going to be like this. And, 
and then you, you know you hit the reality and, and the reality is still good like it's still a good thing of course but it, it's going to require adjustment it's going to require adjustment and i think people often expect a big announcement or something people expect like some thing they're like oh okay you know what's what's mike going to do next what's chris going to do and they want the thing they want the announcement to be really similar to like the previous thing, but just bigger and better or something. Exactly. You know, and often well, yeah, I think it's actually totally. better. It's often actually, or at least my experience, and you know, some people I know, it's, it's often better to kind of go in a different direction. It's like, okay, what have I learned from this that I can then like, you know, incorporate, assimilate into something new, but it actually is going to be a different direction. Like everything I've learned is going to be useful, but I'm not, you know, like for me, it's like, I'm not going to, you know, I mean, people were expecting like some big travel thing, you know, it's like, oh, now I'm going to go right. to the moon, right? I'm going to go to like the center of the earth. I'm going to like, whatever. I'm going to go back to every country in reverse order, you know, probably not, you know, that's not, the, that's not <laughs> what I, what I want to do. Well, totally. And, and I think, you know, we're here in 2018, you've written a bunch of books, you've, you've, you've done a couple of great quests, you started different programs, but there's, you know, 10 years of Chris before this, right? Sure. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, of course. What was that like, I guess, this sense uh -huh. of showing up, you know, when no one was reading your stuff, or as you call it, being maybe famous among dozens, but not yeah. really, you know, someone who's doing this as a vanity project, because I think that's right. another thing people miss in their, whatever it is, their jumps or their side mm -hmm. hustles is to say, I'm going to do this because it'll you know, make mom and dad proud because my right. ex-boyfriend will get back with mm -hmm. me or because I'll get famous. And I, I think that's often not right. Yeah. I think it's important to understand what your own motivations are. And if you're, if you're doing something, um, that doesn't have much internal motivation, that's going to be challenging. I don't, I don't think it's bad to like, I, you know, I want to do this because I want the book to sell or I want this program to be successful or what, like, that's okay. I think like ultimately we, we do want to connect with people and that's a big part of it. But I do think it's, as you said, it's like, that can't be all there is. There has to be something that, you know, like you're, you're doing something because you believe in it and you fundamentally think this is what you're supposed to do. Basically, like, again, there's that missional element and it's hard to, it's the kind of thing that's hard to pinpoint, but you know it when you see it, you know it when you feel it. And, and so your choice is to respond or not respond. And if you have the internal motivation, then you can get through so much else. You know, if you have the, you know, the internal motivation, you can deal with, uh, you know, various setbacks and failures and, and all kinds of stuff. But if you, if you have those setbacks and failures and you don't have any kind of, you know, internal compass, you know, for the work or whatever it is you're trying to do, then that's, that's where it's pretty difficult, I think. Yeah. Absolutely. I feel like you're your biographer here. But huh. about your story that I appreciated is that you described when people would say, hey, I want to travel with you on your trip yeah. when you're going to every country in the world. Mm. And you're like, not a good idea because you no, had a routine boring. then too, yeah. right? Yeah, it's boring. It would be boring for them. I think they have, a again, the fantasy, the daydream, you know. It's funny. I actually was just in Dubai like what, a week ago or something, and I, I got to ride a camel and, and like learned to like learned about falconry and got to like hold a falcon on my arm and all that stuff. But that's that's not like those are the exceptions, you know. I think people think that like every day of my my world travels, I was doing stuff like that, and I wasn't. I mean, travel is boring for a lot of people. Like I I actually like the logistics and the I don't mind waiting. I like flights. I like all that stuff. But for a lot of people, like you actually see what it's like. It's, it's really not that exciting, right? It's, it's the unsexy steps, as you said, um, but people have a totally different, different idea of it, no matter what you say. Like, even if I say like, it's really boring, you're like, no, no, I want to do it. You know, I'm like, not so much. When I was, when I was getting to travel a bit, my favorite part was seeing how people would come back into my life in different mm -hmm. ways, mm. years later, months later, or things that I would, what I call it collide with, you know, collisions mm -hmm. with people or places yeah. would end up shaping the next, you know, six months, or in this case, really the next, you know, job and hopefully career I get to have from the squash tour. Were there moments like that for you? 
um, as you look back, you know, seeing seeds you planted, whether it was in, you know, uh, Tanzania or in mm-hmm. Norway or just, you know, working in Portland that, that you say, wow, over time, as I've built this out 10 years in, things are starting to happen that I could never have seen when they were first being planted. Yeah, I'm really grateful for intersections or convergence points, um, kind of like what you describe. And in, in some cases, in some cases, it can be like inst- external and these connections between people. And, um, you know, I, I wrote a book, The $100 Startup, a few years ago. And that's that's the book I've done that's been the most commercially successful. And I, I still hear from people like every day. I wrote the book, I don't know, more than five years ago. And I still, still hear from people every day who, you know, read the book and apply it in some way and like, that allows them to make a difference in their life. And they end up, you know, starting a small business and some of them quit their jobs and all that. And like, I always give them credit for it. Like they're the ones who do the work, you know, it's like they just read the book and hopefully it, it reinforced something that they already knew or believed. And it maybe gave them a little bit of a push in the right direction. You know, I'm sure you're going to be hearing lots and lots of stories, uh, you know, for, for years to come, you know, with, with your book. So I, I like that. I think that's, that's fun. I think it's also, there's also like internal stuff like that too. It's like uh, internal, you know, intersection section points, um, convergence points of when I travel somewhere that I went, you know, eight years ago or something, but I haven't been back in so long. And, and I go back and I have this like sense of deja vu, or maybe I do meet someone, or maybe I'm doing an event somewhere and somebody comes up and tells a story of, um, you know, how we've connected, you know, long ago. There's one, there's one quick story that I'm thinking of as, uh, as I, as I share this. And there's, um, there's a young woman in Toronto and, um, she has come to like, I, I've done, what, five or six book events at the same bookstore chapters in, in Toronto. And uh, she has been to each one of them and she has brought the same book to each one. And I've signed it like five or six times. Uh-huh. And I signed it in different, different spots. And so like the second and the third time I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. But then like the fourth and the fifth, I'm like, this is amazing. I'm looking back over like nine years, you know, oh of going God. to, going to the same bookstore. And she's, I mean, she was like 14. You know, I say she's a young woman. She was, she was 14 when like the first book tour. And obviously now she's like, you know, in university or even going on to, to work and, and it's, um, that, that's a fun, fun kind of thing. And like, also I think I'm old, but that's a whole other side note. <laughs> it's also like the, the reminder of your mortality at the same time, you know, you're reminded of a connection point, but I guess that's good, good for all kinds of reasons too. <laughs> when you're 80 years old and you look back on your life, yep. you know, what are you going to be most proud of? What stories mm-hmm. would you make as someone who's made so many different stories for yourself? Would you think of you know, high level legacy or, or one thread story you kind of come, come back to again and again, or, or is it really, you know, just take it day by day? Uh, it's definitely not day by day. Like I am, I am pretty future oriented. I think my challenge is, is become, is being more mindful and, uh, you know, focusing on the present moment. That's, that's kind of what I try to work on because it's not what I'm naturally good at. I am naturally much better at the planning and like the goal setting and, and all that kind of stuff. And so I think they're both important. You just kind of have to figure out, you know, wh- which one you need to work on basically. But for me, um, I don't know if it's like a single story, but in terms of like I used the word mortality before, I think this is another thing that people have in common, people who undertake quests or people who are interested in like, you know, this building something or really finding out what they're, what they're good at, what they have to share with the world or what they have to offer to people. I think they're just an awareness of mortality is, is a common characteristic. And, and whether you've had a personal experience, you know, with that uh, or not, maybe it's just like you've always from a young age, you know, kind of been aware of like, well, you know, life is short and you know, uh, what, what am I going to do, you know, with this, like the one wild and precious life, like Mary Oliver says, or it's all kinds of other like metaphors and, and illustrations of it, I think. Um, but just being aware that, you know, time is, time is limited. Like we're only here for this brief time. 
what are we going to do with it? Are we just going to like kind of muddle through, you know, or are we actually going to, you know, say where so much is given, you know, much is required. I know in my life, like, I feel like so much has been given. And so what am I going to do with it? When you think of goal setting, you say that comes naturally to you. Mm-hmm. In what ways, and I'm sure you get this a bunch, particularly with sure. Side Hustle School, in what ways do you tell people, hey, here's how you can, here's the easiest way to get started and not in kind of a, you know, a get rich quick way yeah, or sure. six steps to being happy. But sure. a lot of people, I think, are intimidated and rightly so. Mm-hmm. And maybe I think myself included that, you know, the idea of setting goals and being accountable is, is a daunting task. How do you break that down? Well, let, let's make it really simple and let's just do two steps instead of six. You know, if you, here's our practice. If you start, if you like begin these practices without doing anything else, I think it's going to make a difference in your life. And so the first one is to just ask why a lot more and always ask why basically like, why am I doing this? What's the point of this? You know, uh, like why, why is this, you know, thing here? What do I need to do about it? Why am I doing what I do today? You know, if you just ask yourself without even trying to like direct or, or make changes, I think you're going to just be more intentional and, and you're going to make better decisions that are more aligned with your goals. When I say better decisions, I mean decisions that are aligned with your values, like whatever those are. So it's not like, you know, making decisions that I would make or somebody else would make. So ask why. And the second thing is, um, at the end of every day, ask yourself, did today matter? And just kind of look back, like, here was the day. Here's what I did today. In the long run, does it matter or does it not? You know, which is a different question than saying, like, did I have a good day? Because, right. you know, you can, right, you can have a challenge. You can have a day where lots of stuff goes wrong, you know, where it's a really stressful day and something happens, it sucks or whatever. But actually, you made progress, you know, on those goals or whatever it is you have. Or you did something that was important to you. You spent time with people that matter to you at quality time. Um, you know, or you can look back and say, actually, you know, like the day was fine. Like, you know, I had some ice cream or whatever, but I don't actually think I, you know, accomplished much today, or I don't think I actually moved forward. And so just, again, you know, without doing anything else, like there's a whole lot we could talk about goal setting, but if you just do these two things, I feel like if you're consciously asking yourself every day, did today matter? You're going to naturally like make better decisions again, once again, aligned with like the values that you have. For the part that you said you're trying to get better on, I, I know, I think you had said before, you're not in some other interview I'd watched, you're not a meditator. You want to get more mindful. <laughs> I think that's yeah. a, I think that's a position many people find themselves in these days. What would you tell those folks or what are you doing, you know, on your own to get better at something that doesn't come natural? Yeah. I think it's better for me to answer the second question because I'm not, <laughs> I'm not, uh, I can't really offer any counsel on this. There's so many people that are so much better at it. Uh, yeah. In terms of like meditation, I, this is, this is not something that comes natural to me at all. Uh, I am, I, I do think that there's often like, you know, beliefs can follow behavior, right. As opposed to the other way around sometimes. So like if you do, if you just do something like, over, you know, over and over, then very often it can kind of stick. And so if you're, if you're struggling with something, whether it's a certain kind of exercise or diet or whatever, like you just do it for a while, then it, then it comes natural. So that's what I, that's kind of what I've been doing with like with meditation this year is like every day I'm going to do it for 10 minutes. And I mean, to be perfectly candid, it, it totally hasn't clicked yet. Like I like, I like some parts of it, but other parts I'm just like, it's not really you know, working for me, but I've decided to give it, give it, you know, give it a year doing it. And, uh, like yoga actually is something that has, has made a big difference in my life recently over the past, like say 90 days or so. And I, I did yoga for a number of years, but I, I mostly just saw like a physical benefit to it. I didn't really understand like the spiritual connection or the emotional connection. Like I could tell it was there. I knew that people had that, but for me, I never did. Whereas all of a sudden something clicked at some point and it, it's making more sense. So I'm thinking perhaps that will happen with meditation. Perhaps it won't, but I want to, I want to give it a fair shot. I think you've probably had your fair share of these. I certainly did on the tour where, you know, we would have a book event and it'd be, mm. 
maybe a few hundred people one night and the next night it'd be six, yeah. you know? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Especially on my first tour because the first tour I went to all 50 states. So oh my gosh. You know, by doing that, you're naturally going to get like, you know, some really small audiences in a lot of places. And so, and they weren't like in order from like, you know, smallest to largest. It really was just, just exactly what you said, whereas have like a really big event one night with a couple hundred people. And then the next night it could be six or 10 people. And so that was, that was really interesting to go back and forth. Like, it's like a forced humility, you know, it's like, totally you could, right. You're like, okay, I was, I was like really great last night. And then tonight, yeah, there's like seven people and that's, that's what, it, that's how it works. Like we're going to spend time. We're going to do the same thing you know, more or less, like we're going to do the same thing with this, this group and commit the same amount of energy and time, you know, than we would to the, the bigger group. And, you know, you mentioned seeds earlier, like, you know, some of those people that I met in North Dakota or West Virginia or wherever <laughs> many years ago, like those, the less than, you know, fewer than 10 people who showed up to those gigs, they're still following, like they're still out there, you know? And like, I think, you know, th those connections are really, really valuable. Totally. And I think, I mean, if there's folks listening that are thinking about their own jump, which a lot of our audience is, mm. you know, there's just something so strongly uh, positive around this idea to say, okay, I'm doing this like for no matter, yeah. you know, yep. what the response, I'm doing mm -hmm. this for X period of time. And, you know, I always say, if you're going to, we go through the kind of the four broad phases, we talked about listening to the little voice, but then the next section is making a plan. And, You've talked a lot in side hustle school, literally around how to get you know passive income coming in mm -hmm. while you have a, a day job, and I, I highly recommend folks checking that out because it's so analogous to what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. With okay, you've got something you want to do. What can you do to fund that thing? Whether it's on the side, you know, nights and weekends, mm -hmm. or if you jump full time to give yourself the time and the window to really show up and, and try no matter what, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. really by a period of time rather than yeah. some sort of outcome you're expecting. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. I mean, that is, that's the mission that I'm on now is, uh, is basically to help people do that in different ways. And I, I started the project Sadasal School because, because I felt like, um, there was like this maybe message in our culture of like, uh, if you're not an entrepreneur, then something's wrong with you. You know, if you don't want to like, you know, quit your job tomorrow and take this big risk, then, you know, it, you know, then, you know, what, what's wrong with you. And so I realized like there's all kinds of people in different parts of life and like, there's all kinds of jumps that we make. Right. And sometimes you're preparing to take a jump later or other times, like you're actually happy where you're at, but you do understand the need to like, you know, build more security for yourself and stability so that you have more options in the future and all that stuff. So that's why I decided to kind of focus in on that a lot more. Yeah. And, uh, and driving for Uber is not necessarily a side no. hustle. <laughs> yeah, not necessarily. Right. Which I, you know, it's like, I'm not like a big critic of Uber or Lyft or whatever. Like I, I use those services, but I just think, you know, it's basically like a, like a second job, part-time you know, job. Part yeah. job and nothing wrong with that. Like in, in our lives, most of us at some point have had a part-time job, but if you're really trying to get ahead, if you're trying to do something for yourself, then you need to create something for yourself, not just be part of somebody else's platform. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I would I would highly recommend folks <clears throat> who are thinking about the voice in their head. We did a challenge recently where we had a ton of our of our newsletter audience go through a three day kind of mm. exercise with us. Where again, you know, I don't you know project to say I know the answers or have all the best advice. I think there are people that do that stuff way better. But what what we can do is get people started on those unsexy steps and provide mm -hmm. a, a stage and a place for them to feel like they're not alone and going for it. And I think the tools you provide inside Hustle School is really complementary to, to people taking a jump because 
odds are you're going to need to fund it, whether it's for three months, for a year, to, to get off the ground. So it's a really, right. I think, tactical right. way to get going. So cool. super awesome. helpful. Awesome. Yeah, Thank you for definitely. saying that. Uh, Chris, thanks so much for joining the When to Jump podcast today. Awesome, man. Thank you for having me. All right. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Chris. Just another great reminder that everything good, maybe even everything great, starts with a cold email. A shout out to Bemi, who responded to our email newsletter that comes out every Tuesday, to Clarissa in LA's question, which was about if an introvert can also make a jump or if jumps are just for extroverts. And Bemi said, quote, my advice to someone with an introverted preference is to first, quote, find your tribe, end quote, by which I mean find the people with whom you have a common interest and to whom you may potentially decide to sell a product or service. Bemi, thank you for reaching out and answering Clarissa's question. If you want to ask a question, go to whentojump.com, reach out through the contact field. You can always share your jump by recording it and sending it to jump at mcmillan.com. We love hearing about your jumps. We share them in the newsletter. You can grab that at whentojump.com slash newsletter. And again, we are coming to Boston for our once a year annual member festival, Jump Club Boston, September 7th and 8th. Early bird passes are selling out quick. We're going to have folks like Dig In and their founder, Adam Eskin, joining us. We have celebrity chef Ming Tsai and having a private dinner Friday night at Ming's restaurant for a very small number of people. A few passes left there. So go to whentojump.com for more info on that. You can always use WTJPOD, that's WTJPOD, for 10% off tickets. Thank you for listening to the When to Jump podcast. My name is Mike Lewis. Send a cold email or two. And I will see you next week. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.